The more things change, the more they stay the same. Let's talk about that. Good morning, Panthers fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Day of the Panthers podcast. I am your host, Wes Taylor, and thank you so much for joining me on this very hot, humid Tuesday. I hope you all are getting quite the rest, and I hope you're staying cool out there. If you're headed to work right now, God bless you. Stay safe, and I hope that you get off early for no reason whatsoever, but you still get paid for the full day. Isn't that the goal? And um, anyway, you can follow me at Daily Panthers on Twitter, X, whatever. And uh, yeah, today we're just going to be talking about the team in general. Uh, first off, we got some news that Marquan McCall has been waived. He went from the starter at our, he's a prototypical nose tackle type player in our 3-4 defense with quotation marks to off the team. And you ask yourself, how does something like this happen where we have a guy who played in pretty much every game last year, and then he comes in and he's listed as the starter on this depth chart that the marketing team made, and suddenly now he's off the team. How does someone go from starter to waived just like that when we have still 90 guys on the team who are clearly not going to make the team? You have someone like Cameron Peoples, who I have referenced more than probably anyone has ever referenced him on a podcast who is probably going to get cut, seeing how he hasn't even really played in any of the games, and he's still on the team. But you have someone like Marquand McCall, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, that just gets cut from the team, who the coaches couldn't even really quantify why he was cut from the team. When Frank Reich was asked why, Frank Reich responded with something along the lines of, it's not a good fit. It's a fit thing. He used the word fit like four times. And then when asked to kind of quantify how McCall was not a fit, Frank kind of backtracked and said something along the lines of, well, you know, he is a fit, but he's just not really working for what we need right now. And I think the answer kind of lies within twofold, two different things. So first off, the nature of our defense is very much in the air. We call it a 3-4 just because you kind of have to identify it as one or the other. You ha- you have to call it something. You can't just say, oh, we are in no defense or we don't really have a name for it. You have to say something. This is why we have 12 defensive starters listed on the depth chart anyway because uh, it's not really a quantifiable, categorized defense. It's more so just kind of up in the air, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and that is kind of reflective in this move that McCall may have been a starter in the classic sense of our eyes of saying he's listed on the depth chart at first. That doesn't necessarily mean he is an actual starter in the grand scheme of things. And remember that that depth chart didn't really mean anything. It's kind of just like a mouthpiece type of visual for us to be able to see. And um, it was pretty much reflective of what happened in the preseason game. So, you know, at the very least, it is at least accurate for the most part. So seeing McCall being waived is a bit of a surprise to everyone. So I'm sure more things will come out or there's things that we may never find out about that have happened. I don't know if maybe something happened between he and the coaches or they didn't think he was a good culture fit when he says fit. 
or if it's the other thing I mentioned where this is a defense that is very much in flux, where we're not one thing, we're technically a 3-4, but in reality, we are whatever defense we need to be at the time to be successful. So whether or not that's a 3-4-4-3-2-5-5, I think in the preseason game, we came out in like a 2-5-5 or a 1, sorry, a 1-5-5 or a 3-4-5. It was something weird, but it was not like a classic like, oh yeah, this is what you can play in is Madden 2005. It's a very much kind of hybrid defense. This defense is kind of reflective of the player that we think Jeremy Chin is. Kind of a little bit of everything. So I wouldn't read too much into this as far as like, oh my God, we cut our starter. It's not really that. I think it's more so just he's a victim of the scheme and the move that we are making. And he's very much pigeonholed into one thing. And it seems, it seems, you know, I have a rule in my kitchen. Nothing is allowed in it unless it has multiple jobs. And it seems like they want someone who maybe is a little bit more versatile, who can play multiple positions or multiple downs. And maybe McCall, they felt like, wasn't able to do that for them. McCall was an undrafted free agent last year. And he played pretty much the full season for us. I think he played 16 out of 17 games. So I hate it for him, and it is very surprising. I don't think anyone had him on their cut moves. Uh, we did have to make a corresponding move to bring in uh, Troy Hill, but I don't think anybody assumed that this would be the move that was made. I think we all thought that they would just cut someone off the team who definitely wasn't going to make it, but instead they cut someone off the team who was a starter. So color me surprised. Uh, I think this is also a little bit reflective of this coaching staff in what they value. And I think we are moving a little bit away from that like potential. We're out of time for potential. Someone like Scott Fitter is out of time for potential. They, he can't afford to have people like Brandon Smith on the team. Someone like that. I just use that as an example of someone who has the uh, kind of the athletic gifts and the tangible like athletic assets, but has not turned it into production. And I think we're looking for guys who, regardless of where they are drafted, what their background is, what age they are, Whatever that may be, we're looking for guys who can contribute, who are contributing. And I think the guys that are lining up behind McCall are contributing in a way that maybe we haven't seen quantifiably. The coaches obviously have more visuals than we do and more experience than we do. It's at this point, I will defer to them. So I trust them in this move. I guess we'll see exactly what that means. It's a little bit strange to have the corresponding move for a cornerback be the release of a starting or at least potentially starting defensive tackle, nose tackle. So right now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm not going to pretend to have all the information or know exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, but Troy Hill is coming in. He was picked up as a cornerback. Um, he will probably play slot corner or nickel corner. Um, he will be a little bit more of a natural fit than someone like a Jeremy Chin. I'm still not sold as Jeremy Chin on a nickel corner, but again, he has to be listed as something. So whether or not that means he's going to play a certain spot on the field or against a certain receiver, yet to be determined. It's kind of like a quarterback, you know, like they have to be a quarterback, obviously, but one quarterback might run for 1,500 yards and another might throw for 5,000. It doesn't really matter how they get the yards, just like it doesn't matter how we end up utilizing Jeremy Chin. It doesn't matter what position he's listed at we can use him however we want there's no rules 
on the defense at all of where he has to line up or how we have to use him. So don't get too caught up on these positions or the names of these positions. Some people will try to act so much smarter than you and say, oh, he's a three technique. Congrats. You looked up things on Wikipedia or you have experience and you know positions. It doesn't matter. Uh, These positions, at the end of the day, they are going to do whatever is best for this defense, regardless of what they are listed at in the depth chart, whether they're a nickel corner, a corner, a linebacker, an outside linebacker, a defensive end, whatever it may be, we are going to put them in the position to succeed. Uh, Whether their hands in the dirt or it's not, it doesn't matter. The duties will be the same for that person, just like Brian Burns. Defensive end or right outside linebacker or outside linebacker, it doesn't matter. His role is going to be the same. Get to the quarterback and keep being the best player on this defense, potentially next to Derek Brown, one or the other. So, all in all, you know, it's not something that I'm too worried about at this point, but it is a little bit confusing. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, Also, I want to address something that I said yesterday that I just want to make sure to clarify I mentioned that Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator for a Super Bowl winning team. He was, that's true. But he did not call plays for that team. That was Doug Peterson. So Doug Peterson called the plays. Uh, Frank Reich had a heavy hand in the offense. He was the offensive coordinator chosen by Doug Peterson. He and Doug Peterson worked very closely together. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Doug Peterson's the one calling plays. And I've always been curious exactly how that works, like why do you even need an offensive coordinator if they're not going to call plays? Um, And you have someone like Thomas Brown, who's been calling plays in the preseason in the second half. And you have someone like Frank Reich, who has experience calling plays. He called plays for four or five years over at Indianapolis. And once he left, you notice they kind of went even more downhill because they didn't have anyone with play call experience. And I just am very confused as to what the point of having an offensive coordinator is at that point. I'm sure they do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but when you think offensive coordinator, you mostly think play caller. So that puts a little bit more responsibility on Frank Reich, but this is the 2.0 version, as said so by himself. So, And especially based off of his press conference, he seemed to be singing Thomas Brown's praises a lot, mentioning that he seemed like a seasoned veteran. He didn't seem like a rookie offensive coordinator to him. So I would not honestly be surprised to see Frank Reich give up play-calling duties sooner than we think. Um, I I was under the impression that he wouldn't give them up at all this season. But seeing Thomas Brown and him calling plays in preseason, Matt Corral has looked the best that he's ever looked. Not that we've had that big of a sample size to base it off of. But I could see Frank Reich saying, you know what, maybe it's time for me to just focus on head coaching duties. Um, I did see quite a few Colts fans chiming in saying that Frank Reich wasn't a good offensive coordinator and that he would call a flea flicker and ruin the drive and all this sort of stuff. So whatever, they're in the honeymoon phase phase with Steichen or Steichen, Steichen, I think it is. They're in the honeymoon phase with him. That's fine. It's so interesting to see the different outlook of fan bases. We had Matt Rule for a while and then we got Frank Reich and we're kind of in like the we just got out of a toxic relationship so we're a little bit hesitant with this new person that we are with so we kind of skip the honeymoon phase into the cautious optimism phase whereas I think the Colts have been good for so long and they've been spoiled for so long this little 
past blip, they're kind of ready to get over it. And they're like, okay, now we are back to it. We are in the honeymoon phase. We love this guy. It's the same with the Packers. The Packers and the Colts both are teams who have had very, very sustained success. They haven't been like the Panthers or <laughs> the Panthers fan base, us in general, where we are just always kind of hesitant. Like, oh gosh, what's going to happen here? Classic Panthers. Whereas with them, they had, what, 15 years of Peyton Manning being one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. The Packers had uh, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers combining for like 35 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play. Both probably ended up being top 15 or 20 in the history of the position ever. And now they're getting kind of like, they get those rose-colored glasses where they're like, hey, it's always worked out for us. It'll continue to always work out for us. And they just assume that it will. And I think the Patriots fan base was at that point a few years ago, but now the rose has kind of wilted away and their glasses are no longer colored. And they're just kind of like, oh, is Bill Belichick not actually a Hall of Fame amazing coach? Of course he is a Hall of Fame level coach, but can he do it without Tom Brady? You never ask those questions whenever you just have 15, 20, 30 years of sustained success. Whereas as Panthers fans, we've pretty much been asking that question every year since we started. Of Is this coaching staff good? Do we trust them in these situations? Do we trust these players? Oh, here's our glaring weaknesses. Let's point out everything that's wrong with us. Whereas those other fan bases are like, here's everything that's great with us. Our quarterback is going to carry us across the finish line regardless, so it doesn't matter. And I think that they are going to be here for a rude awakening with the rest of us who have not always had franchise Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. No Aaron Rodgers is coming through that door for them. No Tom Brady. No Brett Favre. None of them. So I think they're in for a rude awakening. And we have kind of been hurt enough times where we're like, okay, we're we're not in the honeymoon phase with anybody. We are ready to betray at any point. If we get off to an 0-4 start, we are ready to jump ship. And I think it probably needs to be somewhere in the middle, as always. I almost named this podcast The Neutral Zone because I feel like everyone should be in the middle, just ready to have any opinion whatsoever based off of the facts and the objective things that they are seeing. And that's kind of where I stand. I'm a huge Frank Reich fan. I love him as a person. He seems really nice, and by all accounts, he is. I'm a huge Scott Fitterer fan. He seems really nice. I love him in his interviews. But at the end of the day, too, I don't really want nice. I want wins. So it is enjoyable to have a team that I support and that I enjoy. After watching Camp Confidential, Blueprint, I I really like all the personalities on this team. But I don't want to be a lovable loser like the Chicago Cubs were for like 100 years. Everyone always was like... I remember walking through Chicago with a Cubs hat on, and this is when they sucked. And people being like, wow, you're really brave to wear that hat. Or, oh, man, I I, uh, I like your hat. And I'm like, oh, what's your favorite team? are like, oh, the Cubs. I'm like, oh, okay, by the way, you were talking. I assumed that you were a White Sox or Yankees or someone else fan. And that's how I think it kind of is, is like teams. And you notice on all these tier lists and everything, people are like, Oh, Panthers fans, they're S-tier. They're the best to interact with. That's because we have not been great. 
Everybody's going to like a team that they can beat up on. I'm tired of being the team that everyone likes. I'm tired of being the fan base that everyone likes. I want people to hate us the same way they hate the Chiefs. You know? People, of course, people are going to like the fact that they can come in and take over our stadium. Nobody likes Raiders fans. Nobody likes Eagles fans. Nobody likes Steelers fans because they go in and they take over their own stadium. And they support their team no matter what. And they do talk a lot of trash. And they are annoying because, I mean, come on. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be the annoying, successful team who everyone's tired of hearing about. Remember in 2015 when everybody hated Cam Newton? They didn't hate him before that. They just hated him when he became successful. And that's what I want for our team. I want people to hate us. I want other fan bases to hate us. I want to be hospitable. I'm a Southern guy. I've been in the South my entire life. Lived in North Carolina for 27 out of my 29 years. Georgia, the other two. And I can tell y'all, Panthers fans and Falcons fans ain't that different. We ain't. I'm sorry to tell you, inform you. I was in Georgia when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl and lost. So I've met UGA football team very much into Georgia football. And I can tell you, Georgia and Panthers fans are not that different. They just have something better to move on to during football season if it goes bad. Because they got UGA football that they're like, oh, the Falcons suck. Well, at least we got UGA and they'll be playing just as long as the Falcons will. And if the Falcons are good, oh, great. The Falcons are good too. Awesome. Whereas in Charlotte, if the Panthers suck, we're kind of like, okay, well, I'll go watch my AFC team. Or I'll go, basketball season's not too far away. Or I'll go support the team of the state that I left to come to Charlotte. We've kind of got nothing else to go to in North Carolina specifically. So that's really the only difference between Panthers fans and Georgia fans. Um, but all in all, I will say, I just, I want to be hated. Not me specifically, but just Panthers. The Panthers in general. And Frank Reich is nice. Scott Fitter is nice. but And some people don't like David Tepper. But if David Tepper was winning games, if David Tepper was uh, created a staff that won us football games, nobody would care about what happened to Rock Hill. Winning pretty much cures 95% of things. As long as it's not crimes against vulnerable populations like women and children, crimes can pretty much... Not crimes? Oh, God, no. Uh, as long as it's not crimes against vulnerable populations, winning can cure pretty much anything. Bad business deal? Hey, we won a Super Bowl. Who cares? That would be great. We we made it to the playoffs. Who cares? If this team made it to the playoffs, nobody would give a crap about what David Tepper did. And he might even get help with the stadium, to be honest. But don't come asking for a stadium when we've had five years of mediocrity. No, read the room, man. Read the room. But it would be nice. It would be nice. We were listed as the 22nd best stadium on the athletic. But the article was kind of trash, though. What I like about Bank of America is that it's outside and you can see the skyline. It actually feels like a stadium. It doesn't feel... Domes, they're they're fine, but it feels more like a... Almost like a basketball game that... Or a basketball stadium that a football game is being played at. I'm not a huge fan of the dome. I love being outside in the elements. I have been in a snow game. I have been in rain games. Rain games are probably the worst because getting wet and staying wet and cold, if it's wet and cold, 
that sucks. And you can't sit down and everything. Yeah, rain, that's the only time where I'm like, yeah, domes are better. But otherwise, snow, cold, heat, whatever. And it's usually great weather, especially here during football season. Those are the games where I'm like, yes, you can never have a dome. In this retractable roof business, even when you retract the roof, it doesn't really feel like you're outside. Yes, the outside is technically like there, but it doesn't really feel like you're outside. So, but I don't know how I got to this point. I've been going down a rabbit hole ever since the beginning of this podcast, but all that to say, I see why the Colts were ready, their Colts fan base was ready to get rid of Frank Reich, but I do think that they have a rude awakening because they're so spoiled with their quarterback play. They just assume that it's going to work out. Whereas the Panthers are the opposite. We assume that it's not going to work out until it does. And that's what our franchise's history will kind of do to you. Whereas the Colts, they've won their Super Bowl. They've had one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. We've had a very good quarterback in terms of overall production. One of the greatest rushing quarterbacks in NFL history. But clearly not in like the top 10 like someone like Peyton Manning is. That's what they're coming from. Andrew Luck, too, probably not top 10 in history, obviously. I don't even think uh, Andrew Luck should be in the Hall of Fame. But they're coming from that kind of pedigree where it's like we went from one Hall of Fame-level quarterback to another. The Patriots went from one Hall of Fame-level quarterback to another in the two careers, basically, of Tom Brady. Like the first half of his career versus the second half of his career, both are probably Hall of Fame-level quarterbacks. You have these fan bases who have been spoiled their whole lives and they don't know anything different. Whereas with us, it's the opposite, where we have been hurt over and over and over. So we've got that cautious optimism where we're like, okay, I hope this works out, but here's all the ways that it might not. I hope it works out, but here's what could go wrong. Whereas you have the Colts who are like, it could work out and here's all the ways that Anthony Richardson will progress and it will go amazing because look at what Josh Allen just did. You can't, don't you dare compare Anthony Richardson to Cam Newton. No comparison. None. None. A direct comparison actually in many ways, but uh, no comparison in terms of talent and production. Just at its face, you have Cam Newton who played one season as a starter, technically, in the SEC. I know he played at Florida, or maybe a game or two, and he also played, I don't remember the name of it, but it was basically like a junior college, community college, something like that. And then he went to Auburn, where none of his teammates made the NFL. I don't think any of them even got drafted. That's crazy. None of them. None of them. Not even after he left were any of his teammates drafted. I'm not talking like same draft class. I'm talking about ever. I think maybe one of them got drafted in like the sixth round or something. And he carried that team to a national title, a Heisman Trophy, and a first overall pick. Anthony Richardson had teammates. I don't know if they'll end up getting drafted to the NFL. But he finished like, I don't know what Florida finished, five and seven or something along those lines, six and six. He had some flash plays and some rushing yards and some touchdowns. I mean, that's it. That's where the compare the comparison ends pretty much at the fact that they only played one season. They're black athletic quarterbacks. That's really the comparison. And the media 
And some people want to try to make the one-to-one connection, but there's really not. And they they had teammates who maybe weren't that great, like overall teams. Like, if they if you would have switched those teams, I think you would have gotten similar results either way. Which is funny because Cam Newton was on Florida when he started out. But some of these teams, I think it's funny that they just these quarterbacks get away from them and end up being like someone like Joe Burrow from Ohio State. I think Ohio State would love to have a quarterback like Joe Burrow in the NFL, but they can't claim him because he transferred out. Or someone like Cam Newton away from Florida. It's just so funny to me. Or um, uh, didn't Baker Mayfield start at Texas Tech and end up at Oklahoma? I think he had like a he was a walk on or something. That's that kind of stuff is wild to me. I just I don't understand how all these experts exist and none of them can spot things like this, but. Whatever. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, this whole podcast has been kind of scrambled to say McCall is out. Troy Hill is in. Trust the coaching staff cautiously. Cautious optimism is the name of the game this season. So hopefully it all works out. If it doesn't, we've been there before. We can handle it. Whatever. Uh, but I hope you all have a great rest of your day. I'll see you later. Peace. <laughs>